1: And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today?
2: Well, Lloyd, today our show is about all sorts of fascinating things that are happening in the field of privacy and coming up. And we are so thrilled because we are welcoming with us today... Mitchell Nordyke, who is a Weston Research Fellow with the International Association of Privacy Professionals, and I'm a member of that wonderful organization as well. Uh, Mitchell is a Weston Research Fellow at the International Association of Privacy Professionals where he focuses his research on the intersection of data and privacy. He earned a law degree from the University of Minnesota Law School, and he holds an MS in Business Analytics and an undergraduate degree from the university as well. He is a certified information privacy professional for Europe and the United States. And while he was in law school, Mitch was the leading manager, managing editor for volume 102 of the Minnesota Law Review and a research assistant for professional Bill McGeverin, He also served as president for the Law School's Business Law Association. He's active in the Minneapolis St. Paul analytics community and a board member for Star 82, an organization dedicated to helping individuals learn and share analytics skills while creative, pos- creating positive change for nonprofits, businesses, and the public sector. So, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it, Mitch.
0: No problem, Ari. I'm happy to be here.
2: So it's interesting. You have a GAD and a master's in business anal- analytics. Most of us in the field of law don't really have those two degrees paired together, (laughs) so um, can you describe how you decided to blend those two? Uh,
0: Yeah, sure. Um, It it was rather uh, a unique path to privacy as a profession, Um, although I don't think that's unusual for people who end up either practicing privacy as an attorney or being a privacy professional uh, in a non-legal role. Um, I while I was in undergrad, I took a statistics class that I really enjoyed. I fell in love with uh, the power of data to tell a story, to convey information. Um, And so because I enjoyed the class so much, I ended up TAing for the class for a few semesters afterwards. Uh, And I discovered that I really started to understand the material when I was trying to teach it to other people. Right. They say Uh, you teach
2: best, but you know, when you are teaching, you learn best when you teach it, Right.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. That's 100% (laughs) true in my experience. Right. Uh, So then after I graduated uh, undergrad, I did some work as a technology consultant and was a supply chain professional, and I tried to incorporate uh, what I had learned uh, in my uh, statistics classes and while I was a TA into the work that I was doing uh, at the companies I was with um, just to make our work more efficient and to focus our resources a little bit more. Uh, So I really enjoyed that, but I recognized fairly quickly that my skills were somewhat limited. I I maxed out um, what I was capable of in applying statistics in a a business setting. Um, And I had planned to go to law school, and so I had started the application process to go to law school. I uh, had a, a business background. Um, but I was very interested in the policy and legal frameworks that set the structure for society. It's something that had interested me my entire life, so I had planned to go back to law school. So that plan was in motion, Um, and then I discovered this uh, relatively new master's program, a master's of science in business analytics that was offered by the University of Minnesota. Um, And I I explored that program and discovered that it was the perfect extension of my practical experience using statistics uh, and my desire and curiosity to learn how I could um, deploy my skills uh, and and really kind of unlock the potential of data to to provide information. Uh, And I didn't know it at the time, but the convergence of of data and law lined up really well with a career in privacy. Um, And I didn't know privacy was where I was going to end up, But I knew that uh, technology and an understanding of data was going to be an important skill, uh, an important area to know, uh, especially in the legal field uh, in the future. So I worked out with the university to do both a JD and this master's program. Uh, And then while I was in law school, recognized relatively quickly that the perfect convergence of those two skill sets um, was in privacy. So that is how I ended up in the privacy field.
2: So you created a whole new field for them. <laughs> you probably know there's going to be other people who want to put those two and converge them together as well. Because in privacy, we have such data, and everybody wants to know what this data means and how to use it. And so it's it's a fascinating area. So um, so what did you do? After you graduated, how is it that you decided to really jump into privacy, or did you jump into privacy?
0: Uh so you mentioned uh, in your introduction of me that I uh, was a research assistant for Professor Bill McEvern, Uh and he is our, was our privacy professor at Minnesota's Law School, uh, oh. and I really enjoyed that class, and he had a good connection with the IAPP uh, and was familiar with their Weston Fellowship Program and encouraged me to apply. Um, and thinking about uh, what opportunities I had outside of law school or after graduation, uh, kind of jumping into something where I could immerse myself in the most relevant cutting-edge privacy work that, um, you know, actual attorneys uh, and privacy professionals were thinking about every day uh, and help create new knowledge uh, was a great opportunity. Um, so it was something that I jumped at, uh, and I was happy to, to, to get the position here at the IAPP.
2: Yeah, they are great people over there. So tell me something, you know, in our field of privacy, and we've got a lot of lawyers, but we have a lot of non-lawyers. A lot of people come from various aspects and various different fields. Why do you think that is, and how do you think that's a benefit?
0: Um, well, I think privacy is pretty amorphous. Um, so I think it benefits a lot from people with different backgrounds. And so I guess the short answer is that it's a it's a great asset to the profession to have people come to it from different backgrounds, um, because I've run into people who have legal backgrounds, compliance backgrounds, or they're IT security people. They could be journalists, they could work in operations at an organization, and they've all managed to find their way to privacy. Um, and I think that's important because uh, privacy it it is it, it's it's changed over over the past few decades, right? It used to be primarily focused on protecting information. So it was uh, a data security discipline. But the expectations for privacy professionals have grown since then as the field has matured. And now it's not just about protecting data assets and information. It's about asking you know, whether you're using your data assets as an organization appropriately. And that is a much bigger question. And it's a question that doesn't have... Uh, very clear answers. So, drawing on the perspectives and insights of people from different domains uh, is hugely beneficial because we're dealing in gray areas quite often in the privacy profession.
2: Right, and it, privacy and data security really, you know, hits all aspects of a company's uh, projects and and their services. So, it's really helpful for various ask, you know, various entities to have several people really understanding privacy, like whether it's marketing or or development or whatever it is, if we build privacy into the integration of all of our services and products, that helps to create protection for consumers and also value for the company. So it makes a lot of sense that people understand it from various backgrounds. So um, public awareness of privacy as an important issue has really increased over the years, hasn't it? People are worried about it, whether it's a security breach or whether there's surveillance or whatever is going on. So what role do you think it will play in the disciplines development going forward? Because you're one of the newer generations out there. And uh, so you probably see it from a different perspective than someone like me who's been doing this kind of work for a long time, just from the issues, you know, it all stemmed from identity theft. So kind of share with us.
0: Uh, Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, from someone who's just starting their career in this space, I can tell you that there is certainly more of an interest specifically in privacy as a career, um, as a very narrowly focused career than there probably was even five years ago Um, because public awareness about it has increased so much that translates to, uh, you know, in law school we have data privacy classes and people who start their legal education thinking they're going to go into, you know, general business law or something and they discover that privacy is actually a really interesting and exciting field. Um, One of the things that drew it to me is the fact that it it is continuing to develop. It is a changing area of law that is not completely defined. So it will be an exciting and engaging area of law to practice. Um, And it's becoming more important in uh, the analytics and data science programs uh, that exist at universities because you're training analytics professionals to uh, deploy certain skills and make data work for an organization, but now they're increasingly recognizing the need to think about, well, how does this impact people's uh, privacy? Are we risking uh, identifying people or using information in a way that people weren't expecting us to? Um, So that multidisciplinary aspect of privacy kind of pops up again. Um, I think the obvious answer to... Uh, what role increased public awareness will have in, in the disciplines development going forward is um, increased budgets for organizations. I think that's an easy answer. We yeah. saw uh-huh. uh, an increase in budgets for GDPR compliance um, the past few years. And I, my impression is that is probably going to become the norm uh, because the public is so much more aware of it um, Regulators and policymakers have an increased awareness of privacy issues. Uh, and all of that awareness and interest will drive a focus of the boards of organizations on making sure that they have a handle on their privacy practices.
2: You know, it's so funny when you were talking about what you, you know, that you have data, you had data privacy and privacy in law school. And, you know, 30 years ago when I was in law school, it was like privacy was the right to be left alone, defamation, and, you know, torts like that, that was privacy. And so it has really evolved To because now instead of just people taking pictures of you, which was the big issue of being uh, picture taken of you without your permission or how it might be used, now it's expanded tremendously. So, yeah, we are seeing a huge evolution in privacy. So let's talk about enforcement. Uh, Will we see enforcement activity more focused on privacy issues? And where is this going?
0: Uh, Yes. Uh, I, I definitely think so. I think we're starting to see it now. Um, just recently at the, at the turn of the new year, um, the LA City Attorney used California's uh, UDAP statute to sue the Weather Channel app for its geolocation, data collection, and sales practices. Um, and this has been tried a few times before, uh, but there seems to be more energy and focus behind applying what is generally a consumer protection statute Um, these unfair uh, deceptive acts and practices statutes that every state has, uh, applying it to what amounts to a privacy or consumer trust violation. Um, So in this action by the L.A. City attorney, they're arguing that the Weather Channel app promotes itself and sells itself to consumers as a way to get weather information. Right. Um, But behind the scenes, what it's – Doing and what um, adds to much of its value for the, the company that owns it is the fact that it gathers geolocation information and repackages that and sells it to different areas of the larger organization that owns the application or sells it to third parties to use for you know, investment decisions, things like that. Um, and so the LA City Attorney said that applying this UDAP statute. Um, is appropriate because that that is misleading and fraudulent to consumers saying it's a weather app when really it is a uh, geolocation data collection application right Um, so they're not
2: disclosing how else they're using it before before someone uh, decides to use it like i have the weather app you know
0: (laughs) yes and and most people do right Um, right and it's I, it's not even that they're not disclosing it, because that's that's another interesting component about these things. Is it, if you take the time and know where to look, right? Generally, this information is disclosed somewhere on a publicly available website. Um, you, you can argue whether it's uh, you know the general consumer-friendly language. Um, you know, I, I look, I, I I research this type of stuff, so I know where to find it and I know how to look for it. In their privacy
2: um, policies, right?
0: Exactly, and they're, they're, they actually generally disclose quite a bit of information. So th- what, what makes applying these state UDAP statutes interesting is that you know, these enforcement authorities um, are saying that, that that's not enough. You know, right. This is what is violative here of consumer trust is the way that you're presenting your application and not just the fact that you do disclose information mm-hmm. um, if people look for it, that, that's not enough. So I think we're, we're likely to see more of that type of um, enforcement action from states. Uh, and, in fact, the L.A. city attorney said explicitly he said, I hope that this uh, case is a model for other state AGs or city or county level uh, attorneys to, to pursue similar actions against other companies.
2: You know, when I use an app that I need for geolocation, for example, if I'm using my app and going to a new place and I want to use my GPS, I always have it that I on, on, it can only show my geolocation when I'm using it. But that doesn't matter, does it, if someone's selling it anyway, when, when and where I was using a, a particular app. I think even for the Weather Channel, I think all of my apps I, I put on my iPhone 10, and I don't know. You would know more than me, but I think when I say only can be used when I'm actually using the app, but not any other time. But that wouldn't make any difference if they're selling it when I'm when I am using it, right?
0: <laughs> uh, I mean, yes, I'm gonna, I'm going to sound like Google CEO during his. <laughs> Uh, his uh, committee hearing in front of the, the Senate, I don't remember which committee it was, Who said, you know, it's context-specific, depends on your privacy settings. But, yeah, that's part of the problem, right, is it's right. Com- confusing for consumers. So it, it seems like uh, enforcement authorities are going to be expecting companies to do a better job of presenting the information about um, privacy controls and the types of data collection practices that are going on behind the scenes in a way that consumers can understand. It needs to be more accessible. So I think we're going to see more enforcement um, that is attuned to that type of thinking. Uh, And I think back to my home state. I'm from Minnesota. Um, Our new attorney general there is Keith Ellison, um, and he was in a very safe uh, congressional seat uh, and he chose to leave that seat to become the minnesota state a g uh... and he's the vice president of the democratic national committee um, and in, in all objective measures seems to have an ascendant political career but shifted from a national federal position to a state-specific position um, so i i see moves like that um, as you know, presenting the potential for someone to say you know I have a national profile. How can I maintain that profile or continue to leverage that profile uh, in this enforcement position that I'm in now? Right, right. I think the easy answer there is, you know, touch on a key consumer uh, interest, and that's privacy. So, you know, people are motivated by their personal goals, and, and you have... People's and I'm, I'm I i do not know Keith Ellison personally, um, so I don't know all of his his reasons for uh, seeking the position that he he did as the state AG. But it seems like interest the line there where you may see more enforcement actions from kind of entrepreneurial state attorneys general.
2: Well, look at look at the new California Consumer Privacy Act. Let's talk a little bit about that because that's pretty far reaching. You know, our state. Well, I'm in California. My state has been the most privacy-progressive state, really, with with everything from our security breach legislation to all of the privacy laws that we had, um, you know, kind of been on the forefront. And now we've got this uh, California Consumer Privacy Act. So talk about that. You know, how has that—I think you've been researching all that, haven't you?
0: I have. Um, I've spent a lot of time with what we refer to as the CCPA Um it's a a huge step for U.S. privacy law. Um, I mean, it's certainly not the first law, uh, and there have been some very strict and rigid privacy laws in the U.S. before, but this one is unique in its comprehensive nature and its broad applicability to basically every industry or business. Um, You know, it's not sector-specific like most of our privacy laws in this country. Um, So I'm not sure how much it will change from a, a Business practices and procedures standpoint um, because as someone who's I've not been embedded in an organization trying to deploy privacy policies and procedures and things like that um, but some of the preparation and framework that organizations put in place to become GDPR compliant um, I think they can go organizations can go through similar steps um, and extend what they did for the GDPR to become CCPA compliant. Um, the a, a big aspect of the CCPA is improving transparency, improving disclosure and consumer access to information that organizations have about them.
2: Right, right. Um,
0: and we talked a little bit about privacy policies and, and the information that's disclosed in them. And the CCPA has some fairly specific uh standards and guidance on what needs to be disclosed in a business's privacy policy now. Um, And I've done some work applying the CCPA and those standards to, um, you know, an an application that was mentioned in a big news article um, that came out recently, uh, kind of chastising the organization for some of these data collection practices that weren't as straightforward and forthcoming to consumers. Uh, like we talked about a few minutes ago. Uh, but if you go in and look at their privacy policy and the disclosures they make in there, it lines up pretty well with what the CCPA says is expected. Um, and in some instances, the the application that I uh, applied the CCPA to, their privacy policy, they, they were more transparent and disclo- disclosed more than the CCPA requires. Um, So in terms of improving transparency and disclosure, I don't know if the CCPA is going to have a huge impact, but where you can definitely say it's going to have an impact uh, is on organizations um, taking an inventory of their data practices and understanding what they are doing with their their data internally so that they are prepared to answer consumer requests for information. Um, And also,
2: how about the sale of personal information? That seems to be more stringent than We had because it covers you know a broad area of of companies, so they must you know consumers must be presented with a simple, more simple, and straightforward process to opt out of having their personal information sold. Right?
0: Yes, Uh, that's uh, we've had some internal conversations here discussing the law, and that will probably be the most impactful uh, component of the CCPA because um, there's a lot of exceptions to that. Uh, right to opt out of the sale of your information, but it does present a lot of challenges for organizations to be able to make sure that they pull out a consumer's uh, information so that it is not being transferred to third parties at all.
2: Right, yeah, because if you ask that your personal information be removed, then that could be a real problem, you know? I mean, I, I see so many errors. Just today, I was calling my dental insurance because for some reason they suddenly changed my husband's birth date so that we couldn't get reimbursed, you know, just the, just the glitches that happen in organizations. Mm -hmm. You could imagine when they're supposed to like, okay, you can't sell my information or I want my personal information removed. Then they have to remove it and then they can't uh, discriminate against you for that. It's, there's a, a lot of really, um, very, uh, complex situations that these companies are going to have to look at, right?
0: Yeah. Um, I've worked at a couple large organizations, and I think anyone who has that experience recognizes that, you know, data gets dropped and stored in all sorts of crazy places and forgotten about. So I think and it, it's certainly fair to say that the CCPA will have at least an indirect impact on data maintenance and uh, and organizations being on top of where they're putting data and, you uh, maintaining its accuracy.
2: Yeah, there's going to be a lot of need for privacy professionals, I think, as we go forward. Yeah. So, I, you know, I we're mean, I, <laughs> we're sitting here on the campus of the University of California in Irvine, and we have a law school here, and we have business school here. So any students listening, and besides the people who are driving by, um, this is a, a possible great career for you because I think it's a growing area that is going to need more people to help understand all of these very complex laws and the way that they're implemented, right?
0: Yes. I mean, the popular saying is privacy is not dead, it's hiring. So <laughs> Certainly, any students who are looking for uh, some career security, it is a field to look into.
2: Yeah, we have just a couple minutes left, but you know, I think ethics is a huge issue with regard to privacy, and this is something that people, com- you know, really can argue about. But um, h- ethics, can you explain ethics with regard to privacy? What do you, how do you think that's going?
0: Um, so. One thing that comes up regularly um, at the IAPP here is uh, the, the question of ethics and how it relates to privacy. The role that um, privacy professionals have in how an organization thinks about ethics, because quite often it seems like um, the ethics function of an organization gets dumped on the privacy professional's desk. Right. Uh, and so the, the, the question is why? Why does that happen? Um, and I don't. I don't have a an answer to that question, but we have what amount to fairly academic discussions uh, here quite often, and I have a perspective on it. Um, And I think uh, the reason that privacy and ethics get bound together so often is because fundamentally at at the base of both of them is trust, right? When you're asking questions about uh, privacy and are you a privacy-respecting organization, you are ask, asking yourself that question because you are a steward of your customers data uh, and right. you know, are you doing things that will maintain a customer's trust in you holding on to their data and using their data um, and ethics is fundamentally the same thing so you know the question is are are you going to violate a customer's trust in some way through your practices um, so privacy and ethics and trust are all bound up in each other. Um, so one thing that I would like to see happen uh, as, as the discipline of privacy uh, continues to grow and mature and ethics starts to get rolled into it more um, is, some of, is for employees at lower levels of the organization to be empowered To ask the questions of, you know, why are we doing certain things? Should we be doing certain things? Um, To democratize the the thinking of, you know, are are our practices and procedures appropriate? You know, we're all consumers and we understand kind of intuitively what we we think um, organizations should and should not be doing with our data, even if we can't express why we think that.
2: I think that's great. And believe it or not, we are out of time. What a great way to end. So we will have you back again. Please stay in touch and just give the website for the, uh, for the IAPP and it's time to go.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it was a, it was a pleasure. I would love to be back. Um, but feel free to uh, check out IAPP.org. Um, for all the latest privacy information. And if you're interested in certification information, it's a great resource for professionals.
2: It's wonderful. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, Mark. We'll talk to you again soon. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org. On the net, I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 and visit our website at privacypiracy.org. Thanks.